0: Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. So we're going to move on into the Word of God today. We've had a great service. The Spirit of the Living God is here. And if you don't know that yet, I pray that you know by the time we're done. Have you ever done something? Maybe it's a little over the top. Maybe you've said something to someone, a little edgy. And they've said to you these words, are you crazy? Are you crazy? When I was a kid, and I've said this a few times, I worked at this bicycle store in my neighborhood for quite a while, as a matter of fact. And one of my bosses, he. this was one of his catchphrases. Oh, we're kids. We want a, a lunch on Saturday. Hey, boss, you going to get us lunch? And he would say, are you crazy? And the reason that he said this, I'm dating myself, this goes back a long way. At the time, there was this television program on the, and me even saying television program. Who watches TV anymore for crying out loud? At any rate. I'm old. He was watching this program called Sanford and Son. And Fred Sanford was a character. And whenever his son would do anything he didn't like, he'd say, Are you crazy? So this became kind of a catchphrase for a while. This boss I worked for, Are you crazy? Are you? And it was just most. Every day about all kinds of things, and sometimes I, I know if someone's really questioning your cognitive abilities, it can be hurtful. It's usually not meant to be a, a real put down or you know an insult. It's just said in jest, but sometimes it can be hurtful if it's taken to really someone questioning your capabilities mentally. So this morning, I want to address this in the context of our faith in Jesus Christ. Has it ever happened to you because of your faith? Has it ever happened to you because you believe in Jesus and you believe some of the things that we have sung about today, that Jesus came to save us from our sin, that he died for us, that he rose again from the dead? Are you crazy? Has someone ever accused you of that because this is what you believe? How can you even believe that? And perhaps the better question is, should it happen? Should it happen? Should we expect it? And if we expect to be called feeble-minded, crazy because of our faith in Jesus Christ, then how do we respond? How should we respond? And that's where I really want to get to this morning. If our cognitive abilities are ever questioned about our faith, what should we do? What should we do if we're questioned? And what does this also say about our faith? I want to touch on faith and talk about what faith is too. And if you're here this morning, or if you're joining us online, you're listening in, and you do kind of think this idea of believing in Jesus is kind of crazy, just stay with me. Stay with me, stay tuned, don't go away. I have something for you as well. And I hope this touches you. Stay with me as I delve into historical example, history. Because in this example, if you think it's kind of crazy to believe in Jesus, you're in it. You're here in this example, so listen to it. Stick with me, and I, I pray it speaks to you. The historical example that I want to bring it comes from the life of the great apostle Paul. Now you might say, "Oh, well, he's just a biblical character." No, he is not a fictional character. He's historical, and history attests that this man lived and walked the earth. It's a historical fact, his life. And we've touched on his life the past few weeks. And this morning, we're going to again look at an account in the latter years of the life of this man named Paul. The closing chapters of the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. It gives us the details, and this is history. Where will be is when after many years, after many years of traveling, Paul had helped plant churches, he helped strengthen churches, he helped uh, establish them. After many years of doing this, he was on his way back to the city of Jerusalem where he knew he was going to face some trouble. And he did. We've talked about it. After arriving in Jerusalem, he was arrested. He was falsely accused of desecrating the Jewish temple. The Jewish population was very upset. The whole city sort of went into an uproar. It was kind of a riot. And the Roman occupiers, the Romans who were the authority over the Jews, they had to step in and settle things down. The Romans took this guy, Paul, into custody and they interrogated him. And then he was sent in front of a Jewish court. And the high priest Then he was sent from Jerusalem to Caesarea because the Jews wanted to kill him. And there he had a hearing before a Roman governor. His name was Felix. So in a short time, three times, he's he's had these hearings. Well, Felix heard him but kept him for two years. Kept him under guard, watched over him. He wasn't a free man. And then Felix... His governorship ended. A new governor came on the scene. His name was Festus. Festus, he didn't know anything about this guy, Paul. So he convened a court. He had a hearing. He said, Paul, I'm going to take you back to the Jews. They should hear you. They're the ones who've accused you. No, I'm a Roman citizen, he said. And I appealed to Caesar and I appealed to Rome. Well, Festus, this new governor, he wasn't sure what to do. But as the new governor of the region, people were coming to pay their respects, to honor him. And as it happened, the Jewish king over the region his name was Agrippa, who was the grandson of Herod the Great. He was known as Herod Agrippa. He's the grandson of Herod the Great, who was the, the king that was the king of the Jews when Jesus was born. he is coming to Caesarea. To meet with Agrippa. He wants to pay his respects. Or to meet with Festus. Agrippa was coming. He's the king of the Jews. So he shows up with uh, his sister Bernice. And Festus says to him, hey, why have this Jewish guy here. Now, Agrippa, he, his lineage was Jewish. He wasn't 100% Jewish, but his roots went back to Herod the Great, he had these Jewish roots. So Festus is like, what do I do with this Jewish guy? And Agrippa was intrigued. He said, hey, can I listen to him? Can I hear him? Roman governor Festus says, sure. So they plan the day. He's got a big audience room. And Festus has all the Roman military officers there. All the leaders of the city of Caesarea are there. And with this great pomp, enters King Agrippa with his sister Bernice. They walk in. All the power of the region is there. All the movers and the shakers are there. The highest representatives of Rome and the highest representatives of the Jews, the king, they're in this room. And Paul is brought before them. And he's in chains. He's a prisoner. He's in chains. He's brought in and he's standing before all of these movers and shakers. And I'll, let's, uh, let's begin there. This is Acts chapter 26. If you have your Bible with you this morning, open it to Acts chapter 26. We're going to be right at the top. Verse 1 through 3. And if you don't have a Bible, just use your device. Acts 26, Paul standing before all these, these, the power of the region, the highest representatives of Rome, the highest representatives of Judaism. King Agrippa's there, and here's how Acts 26 describes the scene. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand. He probably did something like this, which was sort of a Roman orator thing to do, to put out their hand. You might see statues in, in, in Rome, Roman statues. There's one called the orator. It's bronze, and it shows the orator from the first century with his hand out like this. So Paul motions with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. As I said, Agrippa's lineage was Jewish. Now, he wasn't a good Jew. He wasn't a good Jew at all. He was not observant. Some history says that he was sinning with his sister Bernice, that their their relationship was an illicit relationship. So he was not a good Jew as far as the religion of Judaism was concerned. But he understood the Jewish customs. He understood the controversies. Paul said, you are well acquainted. You know the customs. You know the controversies the controversies between Pharisees and Sadducees, these two major parties amongst the Jewish faith. Agrippa understood some of the debates between these two parties. The Pharisees believed in a resurrection. The Sadducees didn't, this type of thing. Agrippa oversaw the temple, believe it or not. And he had the power to name the high priest. So he was connected to the faith that way. Sort of like across the pond where the king of England would be the head of the the church. This was, he had this power to name the high priest. So as Paul said, he was well acquainted with Judaism. So Paul goes on and he addresses King Agrippa directly. If you read the rest of Acts 26, several times, King Agrippa, King Agrippa. He's saying his name. He's addressing him directly. And Paul gives his account. He gives his account of how he became a follower of Jesus Christ. He starts with what his life was before he came to Christ. And he said, I was one of the strictest Jews. I followed the strictest form of Judaism. I was a Pharisee. But that says Paul believed in a resurrection. And he mentions that. I was a Pharisee. I believe in this thing called the resurrection. And that's why I'm on trial. That's why I stand before you today, King Agrippa. I have this hope. I have this hope in the resurrection. But yet I persecuted the followers of Jesus. Persecuted them mercilessly. I received authority from the high priest to arrest them. I followed them to foreign cities. I even approved of their executions. That's, uh, that's quite the life before he came to Christ. But then Paul says one day I was on the road to the city of Damascus. He was going there to persecute more Christians. And he had a vision. He had a vision. Jesus blinded him. And he said, I had this vision. Jesus appointed me to preach to the Gentiles. Now, let's pick up the account right there. This is Acts 26. Now we're to verse 19. I'm going to go through verse 23. Paul speaking. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, because that's where he was when he was blinded. Then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea. And then to the Gentiles. Now, that covers dozens. Of years of his life. But that's what occurred. He preached to Jerusalem, Judea, Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. This is why some Jews seized me in the temple court and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. And there it is. There it is. Can we say it the way I said it earlier? Paul, are you crazy? Are you? Are you out of your mind? Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that the Roman governor, sitting there listening to this man's story, he didn't say you're insane because you were the strictest of Jews. You were a Pharisee. He didn't call him crazy for that. He did not accuse him of insanity for being a terrorist. He said, I persecuted these Christians, oversaw their executions. That did not bring the accusation of insanity. No. But the accusation comes. The accusation flies when Paul says that Jesus was the first to rise from the dead. Now that's insane. That's crazy talk. And did anyone come to this man's defense? Did anyone speak up for Paul? No. Not Agrippa. Not this king who was well acquainted with Judaism. He knew what the Pharisees believed. He knew they believed in a resurrection. Paul said that at the outset. He said that at the beginning. I'm on trial because I believe in this thing called the resurrection. And now he says the resurrection occurred. There is a resurrection that occurred, and it's Jesus, and he was the first. And Agrippa doesn't say a thing. So Paul continued. He continued. And here is how he responded to this accusation. Here's how he responded to, in essence, are you crazy? Acts 26, verse 25. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. So has your sanity ever been questioned? Has your sanity ever been questioned because you believe in Jesus? Have you ever been put down for it? You believe he was raised from the dead. You believe that he lives. Does That make you sort of crazy. When D.L. Moody, Dwight Moody was evangelizing in Chicago in his early days, In his 20s, this is the mid-1800s, he wasn't the typical evangelist of the time. He held street meetings. He preached to those that people called street urchins, the homeless, the outcast. He preached to them. He recruited them to come to learn more about Jesus, to become disciples of Christ. And you know what he became known as? Crazy Moody. Crazy Moody. The biography that he authorized his son to write. It says this For some years, the Chicago papers were not disposed to treat his missionary efforts with any seriousness. And Crazy Moody, as he was familiarly known, was the butt of many good natured jests. He's trying to win people to Christ. He's not doing it according to the way many of the Christian churches were. He's going out on the street. He's talking to people other people won't talk to. His arms are open to the outcasts. And he's talking about Jesus. And he's labeled a nut. You're crazy. The reporters, the newspapers, the media. They're like the Roman governor Festus. Even today. They represent the popular culture of the time. And they view those who believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead as having lost, lost their rational thinking. You've lost your mind. And every era, every era, every generation has its festus and all the supporting characters that make up the culture. In our time, we got the likes of a, a guy like Bill Maher. You know, he he makes a joke about being crazy. And he says, Jesus, with the virgin birth and the dove and the snake who talked in the garden, that's not crazy. You know, and in in a couple of seconds, a couple of seconds on a keyboard, you can find a whole host of people, bloggers, whatever. an, An unknown blogger from the most famous those who are just not known at all. An unknown blogger writes, Christians just don't seem to understand basic logic. They form their beliefs irrationally. They insist on living in a fantasy world. Idiots. Hey, that's how we're viewed. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Every era, every generation has its festus, the big and the small. And Paul even said, from the smallest to the greatest he was he he wants them to hear this but every era has it have you ever been accused of it being irrational for believing in Jesus when that happens sometimes it it can cause us to question ourselves have you ever had that moment maybe i am just crazy maybe i just maybe this isn't Maybe it's not true. Have you ever had those moments of doubt, especially when somebody's been uh, needling you, telling you're irrational? Am I am I out of my mind to believe what I believe? I believe that Jesus was executed for me. That he took away the penalty of sin. He came back to life. He rose from the dead. Really? Really? Is this, is this believable? Perhaps you've been told you're a fool for believing that. Or you're crazy or like this guy uh, writes, we're idiots. Or or maybe it wasn't so harsh. Maybe it was sort of a subtle thing, a little less direct. But someone really making the point. Mm, I don't know how you get there. We've all likely had these moments of doubt and unbelief, especially when someone's pushing our buttons. But let's see Paul's response. Let's take Paul's response to heart. I am not insane. What I am saying is true and reasonable. How could he say that? A resurrection from the dead? How could he say that? He knew the truth. He knew the truth. The resurrection of Jesus was reasonable to him because he knew Jesus. Jesus had been revealed to him. And Paul had developed relationships with others, others who were eyewitnesses of the resurrection, others who had followed Christ before he was executed and were eyewitnesses to Christ rising from the dead. Peter, Paul, Uh, Peter, John, and James, and and the other apostles. They were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. So it was reasonable that Paul could believe this. He knew these eyewitnesses. Well, what about today? We we, we don't have that connection. Yes, we do. The eyewitness accounts we have, and they are historical record their historical record of the resurrection of Jesus. And that record is still intact today. That eyewitness record that we have, we have it right here. It far outweighs any record of any other event in antiquity. We've got more evidence of it, more eyewitness accounts. It was reasonable for Paul to believe and it's reasonable for anyone to believe today. But Paul also had faith. He wasn't just relying on a state of mind, necessarily. Faith, though, that doesn't deny reality. A faith that doesn't defy reason. A faith that's congruent with reason. It's not fantasy. Not like this blogger guy would say. Faith doesn't require that we throw out any rational thinking. We don't need to throw reason out the window to believe. You know, rather faith requires exercising reason. It does. You know, part of faith is intellectual assent. We have to intellectually assent to some object of faith. We have to say yes to whether it's a, an idea, a, a doctrine, a concept. There has to be some intellectual assent. But faith also requires a couple things. It it does require knowledge of the object of faith. It requires knowledge. And let me present an example of that. Consider the object of faith is a, a layer of ice that's formed on a lake. But it's thin. It's only been cold for a half a day. Now, we live in Michigan, and I'd say most of us understand that. And it's likely we can relate to this example. We're not going to walk out on this thin ice. But let's say there is a tourist here from Tahiti. Never seen ice, lives in this, lived in this climate, that never ever experienced this. And that tourist sees the lake covered with ice. And the tourist, not knowing really much about it at all, believes the ice is going to hold. So full of confidence, full of confidence, full of faith, shall I say, steps out onto the ice and begins to walk. And then what happens? Crash through into frigid water, freezing. They may have had the faith, but they didn't really have the knowledge of the object of the faith. They didn't have the knowledge of the ice. They didn't know that, all it, needs to be 32 degrees or well below it for an extended period of time for some thick ice to develop so you can walk out and you'll be secure. Had they known, their faith would have been different. We need knowledge of the object of our faith. And Paul was sharing his knowledge, standing before all these powerful people. He's sharing his knowledge of Christ. This is what I know. This is what I lived. This is my story. He's sharing it with Governor Festus and King Agrippa and all of those that were before him. He wanted them to have this knowledge of Jesus. What about us today? How How do we have such confident knowledge? Back to Crazy Moody. Crazy Moody once said, I used to pray daily for the Lord to give me faith. Then one day I read Romans ten seventeen, which says, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I began to read my Bible and faith has been growing ever since. He was getting to know Jesus. He was getting to know the object of his faith right here in, in the word that he's left us. You know, knowledge is an element. It's an element, but there's also conviction that's required. We need to be convinced. Crazy Moody was convinced. Paul, who was accused of insanity, was convinced. In Paul's writing, he expressed how convinced he was. He was convinced. He wrote to the church in Rome, I'm convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He wrote to the church in Corinth, I am convinced that Jesus died for all and he was raised again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. To his protege Timothy, Paul wrote on the topic of salvation. And he wrote about faith in Jesus. He wrote, Timothy, continue in what you have learned, there's knowledge, and what you've become convinced of. Knowledge and conviction. Faith is founded on this, knowledge and conviction. And and if we join them together, when they're married together, that's what yields confident faith. When Paul wrote to his young friend, Timothy, and he was encouraging him to continue in what you have learned and what you've become convinced of, he said, do that by the word of God. Timothy, this is how you become wise. This is how you become wise. All scriptures God breathed. That's sort of how he brought his discussion with Timothy to an end. Scripture, this, it is true and it's reasonable. It's not unreasonable. If you've been called crazy, if you've been insulted, if you've been put down because you believe in Jesus Christ, remember this, remember this. What you believe and what you confess is true and it is reasonable. And do not let anyone else tell you otherwise. Your belief in Jesus, it's true and it's reasonable and it's not out of your mind. It's not crazy talk. And if you're here and you're listening, and you've never been convinced that Jesus died for you and that he rose from the dead, the first of many, and that he promises you the same resurrection to eternal life. If you've not become convinced of that, you're either a Festus or you're an Agrippa. Festus heard it for the first time, it seems. and And he was shocked. He didn't understand. He thought it absurd, even insane, that a man would rise from the dead. And that might be where you're at today. The idea that God would become a man in in the form of Jesus Christ, who then received the death penalty to pay for the, the penalty we owe for sin, every single person, and then guarantee there's an eternal life by rising from the dead. What did we hear Cameron say here this morning? I serve a living God. He is risen. That's right. I serve a living God. He is risen. No guilt in life. No fear in death. That is the power of Christ in me. It's too far-fetched, you say. That's crazy talk. Yeah, that's like Governor Festus. You're missing both the knowledge and the conviction. Now take some time. I just challenge you, take some time to learn about Jesus, to know him, to come to know him, to know of him, to know that it's true. He loved you so much that he gave his life for you. And to know that with Jesus, you can pass from death to eternal life. I challenge you, take the time. Take, take, just open up the book. Open up the Bible and begin to read about Jesus. And I believe if you do that with an open mind through this word you can come to know him and then be convinced. Because yeah, you've got to be convinced. You've got to be convinced. And and that was King Agrippa's trouble. That was his trouble. Some of you here I think or you who are listening online You have the knowledge. You've heard about this Jesus. You've been taught about him maybe since childhood, but you just aren't convinced of it all. Like Agrippa, he had the knowledge, but he refused to be convinced. He was well acquainted with the ways of Judaism. He understood that for hundreds of years, there were people, prophets, pointing to the coming of Jesus. He knew the word of God. Yet he remained unconvinced. Paul says, look, you, you, King Agrippa, you believe the prophets, right? I know you do. Yet the guy wouldn't budge. He wouldn't budge. Do you think that in a short time, such a short time, you're going to convince me, persuade me to be a Christian? Not happening. He had the knowledge. He knew with his mind, but he wouldn't receive it with his heart. Conviction's a matter of the heart. True conviction. True conviction will birth something in you. It'll birth a turning, a turning from yourself, a turning from your way, a turning from you trying to make it all work. A turning to Jesus Christ without regret. And I cannot force it, I cannot make you. You have to yield your heart. You have to yield your heart and say, this is true. Jesus died for me and he rose again from the dead. It's true and it's reasonable. Paul said to King Agrippa, I pray to God, I pray to God that you would become like me. And he didn't mean a clone of him. He didn't mean become a Pharisee and then, no, no. He meant, I pray you'd become like me, one who sees Jesus as true and reasonable. And he rose from the dead, and I'm convinced of it. Agrippa, this is where I want you to be. And he said that to everyone who was standing before him. I want you all to be like that. Assured of eternal life through Jesus Christ alone. And if you're sitting here today and you're not at that place where you're 100% convinced, my prayer for you too. I want to pray for you and with you. And I want to pray for any in here who've ever been shaken in your faith a little bit. You've ever doubted. Ah, is this crazy? Let's pray as we close. And if that's any of you, if, if if you're here and you've never ever yielded completely, today's the day. Today's the day. And if you're shaken, We can pray that you're convinced about the truth and the reasonableness of your Savior and your Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand and let's pray. And these these altars are open for any, if you need to be strengthened in it, if you need, if you need just just prayer over you because you have had these moments of doubt. But most of all, if there's any here, been like this, Festus, or you've been like this, Agrippa. Today's the day to yield it all over. Jesus is true. Believing in Him doesn't make you insane, it doesn't make you crazy. I'm not insane, it's true and reasonable. Let's pray, Father God, in the name of Jesus, 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 who is alive. He rose from the dead, that's truth. That's truth. That's truth. He rose from the dead. He is alive. He paid he paid the debt. We all owe for sin. Sin that offended our creator and separated us from him. Jesus Christ paid it all. He gave his life. And now he's alive. The first of many. God, if there's any here who haven't been truly convinced of that, Lord, I pray that you're working on their hearts. It's a matter of a heart, God. And you do draw, God. You touch, you you pull. I pray that there's not this attitude of, of a King Agrippa. No, 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 not today. You can't do it that fast. Lord, I pray there's a turning, a turning, a real turning to Jesus and his truth, and his reason. Oh, Father God, I pray that in Jesus' name. And Lord, for any who are here who've doubted, who've been pressed by people, neighbors, friends, family, would say, that's just just irrational for you to believe that. God, I pray for strength in them. God, I pray for that true conviction. Lord, that we'd have this boldness like a man like Paul to say, I'm not insane. This is true and reasonable. Check it out. God, I just pray that we would have that strength, every single one of us, the strength and the fortitude in our faith and to never question it or doubt it. Lord, and if that comes, if it comes today, tomorrow, this week, somebody telling us, oh, that's, you're just you're not thinking clear. God, I pray you give us the help to keep our conviction and the words to help that person. Lord, thank you for the example of Paul. Help us to be like him. Help us to be like him, to walk with you and to be strengthened by you and to never turn from you. Father God, I pray it. And I thank you for your word today. I thank you for your blessing. Bless everyone now as they go. God, keep them, protect them, watch over them and return us again, my my God, in the name of Jesus, to continue to worship you and serve you, the risen God in Jesus' name, amen, amen.